Good morning. Whether you're joining us online or here in the sanctuary, welcome to First UU Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm the Reverend Michelle O'Grave, the interim co-lead minister. I am a white, middle-aged woman who seems to be getting shorter by the day. My pronouns are she, her, and it is a joy to be with you today. I especially want to welcome you if you are new to this church or to any church at all. If you are joining us remotely, and if you can, please say hello in the comments and let us know from where you are viewing this service. We invite you to fill out the online visitor form at austinuu.org. Simply click on worship, which will then show you a link to the form. We would love to get to know you better. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, wherever you find yourself on your life's journey, whichever your pronouns, whatever your abilities or disabilities, however many times you have broken your vows, whether you've walked in or rolled in or tuned in, whomever you love, you are welcome here. You belong here. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. It is in this tradition, this living tradition, that I invite you to greet the holy among us, either in the comments or by turning to those around you. Good morning. My name is Mary Overton, and my pronouns are she, her. Now, let's light our chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth we share with another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship is The Longing for Something More by Gretchen Haley. Every little thing that breaks your heart is welcome here. We'll make a space for it. Give it its due time and praise for the wanting it represents, the longing for something more, some healing hope that remains. Not yet. We promise no magic, no making it all better, but offer only this circle of trust, this human community that remembers, though imperfectly, that sings and prays, though times awkwardly, this gathering that loves, though not yet enough, We're still practicing, after all, still learning, still in need of help and partners, still becoming, able to receive all this beauty and all these gifts we bring each other. Come, let us worship together. One of the things that binds First UU together as a religious community is that the congregation has a common purpose. For First UU of Austin, that common purpose 
is the mission. The congregation wrote it together and emblazoned it on the wall in the sanctuary every Sunday. We say it together so that we may more readily carry it with us in our hearts throughout the week. Let us say it together now. Together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. So now is the time in our service for the story for all ages. So today's story for all ages is a little different. We tell stories about kids and about cute animals all the time. Today, we're going to tell a story about some young adults. And the idea is that all of us need some help sometimes, even adults. But we can all learn from this story that these young adults are trying to figure out what to do with their lives. Once upon a time, in a magical space called House and Hall, two Unitarian Universalists sat down together. They had just come out of the worship service. Rev. Michelle had been preaching about affect theology. Hey, Lucas, how are you? You look like you might be feeling a little down, said Sheldon. Well, I guess I kind of am, said Lucas. That sermon got me thinking about my job, and I'm realizing how unhappy I am with my career. What do you do, said Sheldon. I sell really fancy cars, like this one. I want to help people, and I like seeing how happy they are when they drive away in their new car. But I don't love it in the same way that other salespeople do. They get really excited talking about engine specs and trim packages, even when they're on break. They wave their arms around a lot when they're talking about cars. One of them accidentally hit me in the face the other day because she was so excited about the new car model that just arrived on the lot. And she didn't even notice I was standing next to her. But I just get so stressed out with all the pressure to sell. I can feel my heart pounding in my chest and my stomach doing flip-flops. I think I might need a new career, a new job. Hmm, said Sheldon. That might be a good thing to think about. It sounds like even though you want to help people in a fun way, your job is just stressing you out a bit too much. Thanks for listening, Sheldon. I'm going to think about it some more. You're a great friend. I'm so glad we met here at First UU. Me too, Lucas. A few weeks later, the two friends met up once again after worship, this time out in the courtyard. <laughs> hey, Lucas, how's it going, said Sheldon. Well, a little better, I guess. 
I left my job selling cars, and now I'm trying to sell houses. I have a friend, Tanisha, who is a great realtor. Their whole face lights up with excitement when they talk about their career. I thought that selling houses would be fun. Plus, I thought it would feel good to help people find their home sweet home. But it's not working out that way, said Sheldon. No, I've been job shadowing Tanisha. They still love what they do, but I'm just finding it all kind of odd. Some of these houses just creep me out. (laughs) On screen, you'll see a photo of a real house in Houston known as the Darth Vader house. (laughs) I can feel shivers going down my spine, and I get goosebumps on my arms. Hmm, said Sheldon. I know helping others is important to you. But maybe it's not people you're meant to help. What do you mean, said Lucas. Well, I notice you're wearing a shirt with dogs all over it. You seem to wear that one a lot. And I notice you only eat the vegetarian dishes at the church potlucks. Plus, you got really excited when that tiger, India was it, was on the loose in Houston. You said something about wishing you could volunteer at that animal sanctuary he went to. I know you love animals a lot. Maybe you could think about helping animals instead of people. Thanks, Sheldon. I will do some thinking on that. You're the best. And so Lucas did just that. He went home and he thought about all that Sheldon said and about how much he loves animals, and about how much he loves being helpful, and he made a decision. Lucas went back to school and became a vet tech. Now he works with and helps the animals he loves every day, as well as their human parents. And yes, this is a photo of Lucas examining a cat with a stethoscope, and there in the background is India, (laughs) the tiger from Houston. A couple of months later, the two friends met up once again, this time at a pool party at Sheldon's house. (laughs) Lucas, I can't believe how much happier and more relaxed you look these days, said Sheldon. Yes, I am, said Lucas. That's in part thanks to you. I love my new career. I'm eager to go to work each morning and find out what the day will bring. And I feel so fulfilled at the end of my day. I really appreciate all the listening you did and the way you helped me put things together in a new and deeper way. You really are a great friend. So how are things with you, Sheldon? The end, at least for now. And now, a reading excerpted from Braver Wiser by Dr. Takaya Nur Amin. When I used to work with Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism, Blue, 
doing workshops, or meeting people in UU congregations, inevitably a very well-meaning white person would ask, who's the black Emerson? Or who's the black Thoreau? This question is wrong, icky, for so many reasons. One of the tenets of white supremacy culture is the prioritization of the written word and not understanding that if you want to discover the evidence of Unitarian Universalism or Unitarian Universalism in the lives of black folks, it's not always in written essays because historically we've had different trajectories, different levels of care and resources and accesses that would enable us to create something like that. If you're seeking sacred black text in our tradition, you have to examine the way our black ancestors lived. You have to seek out the black folks who were in Unitarian and Universalist or UU congregations and the work they were doing in community, whether it was suffrage or trying to educate black children or they're working towards social action or civil access. Our text is embodied in the lives of people like Francis Ellen Watkins Harper, Joseph Jordan, David Eaton, and countless others. One of the things I love about this tradition is that our faith is covenantal and not confessional, meaning that to some degree, our tradition cares little about what you stand up and say you believe. The evidence of your Unitarian Universalism is embodied in the depth of your relationships, How do you live in relationship to self and other? I don't just mean human other, to the plants, to the animals, to the stars. The proof is in the pudding for you use. It's not about what you have to say. How are you living? This is the time in our service when we center ourselves together. We breathe together, and breathing together, we sense one another's loving presence. Breathing in and breathing out, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place where a spark of the divine resides within us all. Breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence, all the while remembering that nowhere is the world fully silent. I invite you now to light a candle if you are so moved. Candles representing sorrow, joy, hope, remembrance, resilience. Whatever it is you need to honor during this time. As we light candles, I invite you to keep in your mind and heart members of our community who are ill or in sorrow. And those who are celebrating joys. Let us hold the silence together throughout this meditative time of candle lighting.
We light one last candle for all those for whom there is no to light a candle. The words washed over me like the first drizzle on a parched land. Though you have broken your vows a thousand times, though you have broken your vows a thousand times, though you have broken your vows a thousand times. The rhythmic repetition of the congregation singing in unison began to settle into my body and nourish a place in my spirit I hadn't known was thirsty. The verse continued, washing in and out like the tide, while other voices sang from above. Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, ours is no caravan of despair. Come, yet again, come. And though you have broken your vows a thousand times, come, yet again, come. A sense of sweetness settled upon my heart, and I allowed the words to soothe me. I was sitting in the pew of the UU Church of Worcester, Massachusetts, celebrating the soulful sundown service. The minister, the Reverend Aaron Payson, had invited us to join in singing the missing line from Rumi's poem, the one which does not appear in our hymnal. Though you have broken your vows a thousand times. I think I understand why Rumi's verse about breaking vows does not appear in our hymnal. It has to do with the tendency of Unitarian Universalism as a whole to avoid all things relating to sin, confession, and forgiveness, often to our own detriment. Many, and perhaps most of us, have arrived at UUism after coming out of another religious tradition. And all too often we arrive here having suffered spiritual harm from a theological language of sin, confession, and forgiveness that was used to incite feelings of guilt or shame. And so, all too often, we arrive here wanting to avoid these theological terms. Yet, the self-protective action can also come at a price. We can close ourselves down refuse to hear or try to understand what scares us, and so reject the good and beneficial, which may be mixed in and amongst the harmful. So while we use tend to avoid topics like confession or brokenness or guilt or forgiveness, sometimes, though, I think we get it right. The worship leaders at the Soulful Sundown service I went to that time got it right. I needed to hear that message that night, though I have broken my vows a thousand times. As I surely have done, I still must come. I still must approach 
I still must join with. I still must return over and over and over again. Theirs was a message proclaiming that I belong here in this faith community, even in my brokenness. Theirs was a message promising that I will be seen here in this, my beloved Unitarian Universalist faith tradition, for all of who I am, even the less than perfect parts, and that I will be accepted not in spite of, but because of my imperfections. Theirs was a message of hope, acceptance, and strength not one of shame or guilt. And this is a message we still all need to hear. So I'll repeat it in slightly different words. To truly and completely affirm ourselves and each other, we must accept those feelings of brokenness. We must accept that there are parts of ourselves and each other that feel out of alignment with who we understand ourselves to be and who we hope to become. We must begin by accepting our imperfection. Only from there will we be able to seek wholeness in any truly meaningful way. Which brings me to UU Theology and an introduction of Tandeika. I met the Reverend Dr. Tandeika on Star Island, a UUA UCC camp and conference center off the coast of New Hampshire, well over a decade ago. This is a photo of the main island on the building. Our main, <laughs> main speaking of imperfection. <laughs> of the main building on the island. (laughs) Tandeika was then a professor at one of our UU seminaries, Meadville Lombard Theological School, and she is a UU theologian. Here's a photo of me and a friend standing with Tandeika on the island. Morning after morning, Just after breakfast, for an entire week, I listened to Tandeika lecture on a system of thought she termed affect theology. She traced its evolution from Friedrich Schleiermacher through George de Beneville and William Ellery Channing and up to her own refined application to contemporary Unitarian Universalism. Affect theology is an incredibly complex system of thought based on neurobiology, psychology, child development, anthropology, and theology. It is also an umbrella theology, a single theology that has the inherent ability to overarch or encompass all of our individual theologies and philosophies of life. Yes, all of them. Whether you consider yourself to be a UU humanist, a UU Jew, a UU Buddhist, a UU Christian, a UU atheist, a UU pagan, 
or a plain old you-you, there is a home for you within the umbrella of affect theology. It is a theology to which we all belong. In hearing Tondeica speak over the course of that week, I was both fascinated intellectually and unsettled emotionally. Somehow I felt like my body knew the truth of her words in a way that I could not really articulate. Her words sounded vaguely familiar. Her words almost haunted me. So, ever the researcher I am, once I returned from the island, I decided to compare what I had learned about affect theology to my very own recently written credo statement. It was with that reading and in that moment that I became a believer. I became a believer. And ever since, affect theology has been formational in the way that I think theologically, in the way that I grow spiritually, and in the ways that I teach and minister. So, what is affect theology all about and how does it work? As we prepare to explore the four components of affect theology, let's imagine ourselves embarking on a journey, a journey on which we search for truth and meaning, a journey on which we encourage one another to spiritual growth, a journey toward belonging, a journey toward wholeness, a lifelong journey. We begin this journey in the base of our brains. This is where our brains receive both external and internal sensory input. We see, hear, taste, smell, and touch. Here we begin to be aware that our hearts are racing, that our bodies are feeling pain, that our skin is sweating, that our muscles are relaxing. To hearken back to my soulful sundown experience, I heard the music, a familiar melody with a new descant, weaving in and out and among the notes well loved. I felt the vibrations of dozens of others singing along with me. I saw candles lit and flickering in a darkened and beautiful sanctuary. Our bodily experiences are foundational in the way that we understand and live out our faith lives. Affect theology is an embodied theology. Next, and second on our journey... We move a bit farther up our brain stems to where our emotional responses occur. First, we experience sensory input within our bodies. Now we experience emotions which we feel about these same sensory experiences. I felt emotions about my worship experience, not all of which were nameable, but include feelings of comfort, relief, Nourishment, reassurance, and gratitude. Next, and third on our journey, we move even farther up our brains 
and into the neocortex, the most recently evolved portion of our brains, the center of thinking, reasoning, and logic. Here is what we think about our bodily sensory experiences and the emotions we have felt about those experiences. Here it is that we do the work of reflection and meaning-making. I made sense of and came to an intellectual understanding of my soulful sundown worship experience by thinking through that experience. I thought about the contrast between Unitarian Universalism and Sufism in the importance each religion places on making and keeping vows and what it might mean to break those same vows. I thought about the making, keeping, and breaking of vows and how that might relate to traditional Jewish and Christian theological concepts of sin, confession, and forgiveness. And I thought about the relative lack of those same traditional theological concepts within Unitarian Universalism and what that might mean for us as a faith tradition. Finally, with the next and fourth stop on our journey, we move to the last component of affect theology, which is our actions. That is to say, we have sensory experiences, emotions we feel about those experiences, thoughts we think about what we experience and feel, and actions which we undertake as we interact with the world, as we live our lives. I act by admitting my mistakes, apologizing, asking for forgiveness, and changing my future behavior. I act by writing and delivering this sermon. Sensory input, emotions, thoughts, actions. According to Tandega, it is only when these four components, sensory input, emotions, thoughts, and actions, are in alignment. It is only then that we feel whole, that we feel fulfilled. When these four components of our lives are out of alignment, when our thoughts don't match our actions and our feelings don't match our thoughts, we feel broken, disaffected, fragmented, disembodied. Affect theology is a path to leading a life of healing and wholeness and fulfillment, a journey which we can all choose to take, regardless of our individual belief systems. In some ways, it's easy, simple to understand sensory input, emotions, thoughts, actions, all in alignment. But it's not actually all that easy to do. It will never be finally or fully accomplished by any one of us. And so it is that I believe in being fully present to those who I am with. Yet sometimes I find myself feeling impatient or becoming lost in thought. And so it is that I believe in making considered and ethical choices when shopping. Yet I sometimes find myself choosing the easiest or least expensive option 
rather than the most ethical one. For each piece we snap into place, there are more to be sorted as we continually put together the puzzle we call life and journey onward. That is why we need each other, to help sort the puzzle pieces, to support and encourage one another, to call each other back into alignment, just as Lucas's friend Sheldon did for him and as Lucas will do for Sheldon. Now take note, that means I ask you to call me back into alignment with myself. That's the beauty, the absolute beauty at the center of this theology. I ask you, my atheist friend, to call me back into alignment with my panentheistic self, not your atheistic self. And you, you ask your Christian friend to call you back into alignment with your pagan self. No one's individual theology or philosophy need threaten or take away from another's. I need you all to hear this because the survival of our faith tradition depends on it. No one's theology or philosophy of life need threaten another's. What we need is each other. What we need is a faith community to which we can belong. In other words, as individuals, incorporating affect theology into our understanding of ourselves as whole or even holy beings is certainly, well, adequate for living a moral and ethical life. We can use this system of thought to see a way toward becoming more ethically consistent in the totality of our individual being. We can use this system of thought in a spiritual practice of self-examination and self-culture. But the concept of working by our, on ourselves, by ourselves, is no longer enough. It never really was. We are intimately connected on the interdependent web of life. We can only truly and fully understand ourselves in relationship to others. A change in any one of us is felt by all. We are all one. I'll say a little bit more about this using Tandeika's own words. In writing about a need for a language of reverence, she defines the symbol of salvation within the context of affect theology in this way. Human salvation is thus a corporate affair. We were not conceived, born, or individuated alone. If others did not exist, including the wider world of nature and the universe, we would not be here. We could not be here. A basic ecobiological law of nature is that organisms cannot flourish without an environment that nourishes, sustains, and enhances 
their developmental continuity through life-affirming relationships. Our human affections are thus deeply private and utterly social. We feel the world upon us and within us. The world stirs our affections. We are a pulse of its life. That's the Reverend Dr. Tandeika. So if you've been having an urge to geek out for a little while, that was it. (laughs) We Unitarian Universalists have covenanted together as congregations in relationship to other congregations of Unitarian Universalists to encourage and support one another in our mutual quest for spiritual growth as we each engage in a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. And so, when the search for truth and meaning becomes difficult, when we find ourselves living too much in our heads or too much in our hearts, we can remind each other for our need for balance, our need for alignment. Body, heart, mind, will, spirit, all are essential on our path to healing and wholeness. After all, we are all disaffected, disembodied, or broken in some way. This is the natural order of life and the result of our all-too-human experiences. If we were not, we would be inhumanly perfect, and no one is. Tandeika reminds us we were not broken alone and we cannot heal alone. It takes a religious community to heal a broken soul. We need each other. As you use, we have long struggled in finding a foundation for our liberal theology. Lewis B. Fisher said back in 1921, Universalists are often asked to tell where they stand. The only true answer to give to this question is that we do not stand at all. We move. This captures something quintessentially true about liberal theology, that our theology lives and grows and changes. Our theology is constantly in the process of becoming. Tandeika demonstrates that with affect theology, our search for a foundation may be over. The foundation of affect theology actually rests outside of theology and within the field of science. Human experience is understood through the lens of neurobiology. As people of a liberal faith, We are not likely to ever plant our feet in a cement-like faith, but here we can find a place to rest, a place to find the ground beneath our bodies, a place to stop our seemingly endless wandering. Here, within the warm embrace of affect theology, we can move forward together with purpose as we join with each other on a lifelong journey 
of becoming and belonging. May it be so. And now we'll extinguish our chalice and we'll say the words, we extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. There is a promise inherent within affect theology that we might one day come more fully into our own. A promise reflected in this poem by Derek Walcott. A promise that life itself is indeed poetry. The time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. May it be so. Amen and blessed be. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.